I preached this morning. I'm preaching tonight, and I'll be preaching this Wednesday night. Kevin just wants me to get a little more time behind the pulpit. And I'm sure it doesn't hurt having a break from preparing three sermons a week. I, I feel your pain, brother. Even just this one week has been pretty hectic. Uh, and, it, and it was a little easier for me yet because I had this, I've had this morning's ready since November. I was telling them this morning I had to keep putting it off because I got sick and then Advent. And then when you, only get, when you only get to preach once a month, it takes you a while to get through a book of the Bible, you know. So, um, but. Yeah, we're solving that problem. And uh, maybe eventually I'll just do all my, uh, I'll just keep going through the book and I'll do it three times a week. But, you know, I've had uh, stuff on my heart and on my mind that I feel like would benefit you guys to know that it sure benefited me to understand as I walk through this Christian life. I titled tonight, An Evangelical Faith. And um, evangelical is a word that has kind of been divested of all of its meaning. Um, words mean things. And so when we say evangelical, we've got to understand what are we talking about? What does it mean to be an evangelical Christian? And so, and I wanted to do that uh, coupled with um, where are oh, um, where are motivation for obedience come from? If we are an evangelical people, what does our faith look like? If we really believe that this word has meaning, if we believe that our identity as evangelical Christians have has any meaning. Evangelical, as I explained this morning in my message, is a word that um, it has an evangel. You'll um, recognize that from evangelism. And it comes from the Greek, euangelion, um, which is the gospel or the good news. So our faith is a faith that is built on the good news. Our faith is a faith that is lived out of this truth. Um, Douglas Wilson, here a little, and I don't know if any of you guys, besides maybe me and Kevin know who that is, but um, he had a, had a uh, program a little while back, a podcast that he did, and he was talking about the gospel-centered movement and what it really means to be gospel-centered. And he, and he said, does it mean like I take, we take the gospel and we just set it up here and we all just kind of rally around this one thing and it's just a um, unifaceted thing that is just singular and just sits there and we all kind of keep coming back to it? Or are we gospel-centered in the way that a hub is central to a wheel? And then you've got the wheel and then you've got all these spokes coming out everywhere. you got spokes coming out here. And that's what we want the gospel to be. That's the way in which we want to be gospel-centered. We want to be driven by the gospel. We want everything that we do to flow out from our belief in the gospel. The early Christians, when they went out and they evangelized the world, um, they certainly didn't do that because it was a comfortable thing for them to do. They certainly did not do that because it was popular or because it would get people into their organizations or into their inner circles. Um, the early church was a persecuted church. And that is the reason that we count it such a miraculous thing um, that we have the word of God today, amen, because our Bible that we possess today was written down and transmitted through this persecuted church. So you had people copying down little scripts of 
uh, you know, one or two chapters of the Bible, and then you have parts of this gospel that were discovered over here, and parts of this gospel that were discovered over here, and they've all come into one to give us the Bible that we have today, that we all carry under our arm. Some of us have uh, bookshelves full of them, looking at, uh, <laughs> looking at, uh, <laughs> you know why I'm looking at you. You, you don't have to pretend. <laughs> but, yeah. And so they went through all of this to get us the Bible that we have today. And we believe that it has been preserved through that. But the fascinating thing is not so much that it's been preserved. Because that we expect God to do that kind of thing, right? We expect him to preserve his word. Right, so that we can all understand it and we can all know it. But the amazing thing is, these Christians went out and they were still copying it down under threat of persecution, jail time, and even death. They were putting their lives on the line to go and do this. And they certainly did not do that without a surefire faith that this gospel they were copying down was truth, 100% truth. And I just feel like in the modern church, these people were willing to lay their lives down for it. We won't even lay down our cell phone for it, okay? Oh, oh, oh that's a word. Preach that. I'm going to get a little Pentecostal on you. Okay? <laughs> oh, no. Preach that. But we, we won't lay down all of our stuff that we've got going on at the house or in our lives to live like we believe this is true. This, as Christians, the truth of this gospel is what should motivate us. We just sang the song that we sang, All I Have is Christ. And it said we, we hold fast to the truth of the gospel, that Christ died in the payment for his sins. He was buried and raised to life. This is the truth that we stand in. This is the truth that we proclaim. And we hold fast to this truth. And we stand in this truth. And I want to show you tonight how everything that we do should come out of this truth. There's a problem today, and has always been kind of a problem, is as Christians we don't know what to make of good works. Especially as Protestant Christians who recognize, rightly recognize because of what scripture says about good works and faith, we realize that our good works do not factor into our justification. It is completely a separate thing from our justification. What what has become pandemic today is the fact that, well, now since we don't have to do these things, I don't have to have, because, see, back in the day what you had with the Mass, in order to receive grace, you had to go to Mass. You had to go to confession. You had to do penance. You had to buy indulgences. And there was grace there. I don't want to straw man the Catholics. Let's give credit where credit is due. They, they were religious people. And I think uh, their heart was in the right place. I really do. But they just didn't, uh, they didn't see it through to the logical implications of the structure that they had, the religious structure that they had going on at the time. So the reformers rightly understood Justification by faith. Salvation by grace. Um, they rightly understood these truths. And so us, 500 years removed from the Protestant Reformation, we are becoming less and less sure of what to do with our good works. Or how to do them in a way where we can still proclaim it I am saved by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. We struggle with that. 
we struggle understanding if works don't justify me, why should I do good works? What do we're told to first well because we're told to first of all, but we we kind of struggle with it and then and there's two sides and it and it comes down on two sides of the aisle. You have people that say, well, yes, we're told to, so they must factor into my justification. They must factor into how God sees me and if God is really pleased with me or not. And that's an area that we want to avoid. We also want to avoid the lethargic side of it that says, I'm as justified as I'm ever going to get in the sight of God. I can sit down, just me and my Bible in my bedroom, and I don't have to get out here, and I don't have to love the brethren because none of that stuff justifies me. And that is a wrong-headed way to think about faith. It's a wrong-headed way to think about works, and it's a wrong-headed way to think about God. Yes, God is, God is glorified in our good works. And, and I'm going to circle back to this I'll later. Leave, I'll leave you alone now. No, uh, <laughs> no you're not. <laughs> I'm going I'm to circle back to this later. Amen. God, is, one, as Kevin rightly pointed out, God is glorified by our good works. Number two, our brethren benefit from our good works. God doesn't need our good works to justify us. Do you guys, and I'm going to, I promise I'm going to read some scripture here in just a minute. I feel like I'm rambling. But if you guys will remember this morning um, when I said what, what our liberty in Christ means, you remember in uh, Galatians 2, 4, where it was talking about the false brethren had slipped in to spy out the liberty that we had that we have in Christ I talked about how that liberty is not a liberty for the flesh to take occasion to do whatever the flesh wants to do it is the liberty that we are free from the law as we are free from the law for justification we don't have to look to the law to justify us the law was never meant to justify us the law was meant to, there are three uses of the law, right? The, the first use is that it's a mirror to show us our sin. It shows us the perfection of God. And it is a guide to life for those who are already justified. It was never meant to justify us. And so we are free from the old covenant way. We don't have to bring sacrifices. There's been a once for all sacrifice. Justification is out of the way. It is taken care of. We don't have to worry about failing in the Christian life because there is therefore now no condemnation, right? Romans 8, 1. And we can run forward full speed ahead, run the race with endurance, and lay down our lives in the service of our brothers and for the glory of God, Amen. right? So I want to look at uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and you all are really familiar by now with Ephesians chapter 2 I don't know how many times I've preached it and talked about it here and I'm sure everybody has at least a couple verses from this passage memorized but we're going to talk why it's important to go beyond verse 8 and 9 we've all got that down pretty good for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But we really need to get verse 10 down. And then verse 11 and on tells us why we need to get verse 10 down, right? So, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore, remember 
that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh, made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who has made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain in enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we have both access by one spirit unto the Father. So, right off of the heels of this wonderful declaration that we are saved by grace through faith, it is not of works, lest any man should boast. He says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We are, in other words, we are God's handiwork. We, he has created us in Christ. This is talking about the new creation, right? 2 Corinthians 5.17 If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things become new. We are. This is the creation he's talking about. We are a new creation. We are not created as we were before. We had that fallen state that the thing about the fallen state is the fallen state is a selfish state. It is a self-serving state. It is a state that does not know God, neither does it want God in its thinking. Romans 1. It is a state that is wholly set on the things of the flesh. Holy set at enmity with God. But this new creation, now being freed by the grace of God, we are created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath ordained that we should walk in them. Now, just, just to think about it for a minute, People get all bent out of shape, and I suppose it depends on who you ask. What is a good work? Well, a good work is anything that God, God's word, God himself defines what is good, right? His character, his law define what things are good. Uh, Pastor Kevin preached this morning, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are holy, whatsoever, th whatsoever things are just, think ye on these things, right? And so, I mean, what are these things? What are good works? Now, sure, works of charity, rightly said by Christians for centuries, are good works. Works of Charity, donating your time, your money, your resources to people. But how about communion with God? Praying, reading your Bible, attending church, being part of the fellowship, edifying your brothers and sisters in Christ. When we come together and we worship, we sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. What, what is that for? It's for the building up of the brethren. It's that you may edify one another. These things are good works. And as we are new creations in Christ, that's what we're created into. 
We're created unto these things. We are not saved just to sit back on our haunches, sit down in our easy chair and take it easy. We are saved unto service. We are saved unto and not just service to God, but service to our brethren. The, the church in Acts, that they were, you know, sailing, dividing up their needs, and everyone had need. They were looking after the orphans and the widows. They were doing all these things that God had commanded them to do. And it wasn't a burden to them. They were joyful in these things. See, that's where faith alone comes in. And I, I said this to Kevin earlier, and I, I've been thinking about it all week. Um, a lot of people, especially coming out of the Reformation, uh, the, the people that were opposed to the Reformation, um, they said, well, this uh, business about justification by faith alone, you're just going to make a bunch of lazy Christians that don't want to do anything. Well, what I want people to understand about faith alone is we're not talking about the lowest common denominator. We're not talking about just a, just a mental ascent type of faith that says, okay, the gospel's true. Uh, you know, okay, I'm saved, and then doesn't go beyond that. But we don't. We also don't want you to go beyond that in the other way, and get into this mess of self-justification, right? right? So we've got to find a way to balance that out. And I think that the balanced view of justification by faith alone, salvation by grace alone, is a view that says that it's actually the more radical way to go. Faith alone is far more radical than having a checklist of, that's what the church has become, a, self, a self-help, a uh, build-your-own-checkbox style of Christianity that, that, you know, oh, well, if I'm, if I'm making it, to, if I'm doing this, I'm really killing the Christian life. I'm really, I'm living the Christian life. And it becomes less about the gospel and less about um, living in service to God and the brethren. And it comes more about, am I doing enough? And if that's where our hard is we're going to burn out quick if we are not motivated by the gospel. There is a reason that Paul when he writes this epistle to the Ephesians, there's a reason that he, that he speaks in this way to them. He starts out with by grace are you saved. He even says it twice. He says it in verse 5, parenthetically. He says, even when we were dead in sins, hath, God hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. And he reiterates it at, in verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith. And so that faith, as I said, is not this lowest common denominator Faith is the means by which we take and we lay hold of Christ and his work and his gospel, and we believe it. And from there, now he can go on to talking about us being his workmanship, created unto good works. And I want to suggest that every time that... Any, every time the saints are exhorted by Paul or any of the other apostles to do good works and to live in service to one another, he always uses the gospel as the motivation. Never threats of losing your justification or if you're not doing this, um, you're just a, you know, you, you know, you're a lazy Christian, you're a, 
you know, you're a backslider, you're, you've got, you know, you've got less faith than the devil, and I've heard all that kind of stuff, right, you know, because, you know, even the devil, even the devils believe and tremble, and, uh, but Paul always is mindful to give them the gospel. I want you to go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And notice the way that Paul speaks to these Christians at Corinth. He's, he's being here, he's being hard on sin. And that's the other thing. We need to understand that there's a balance. We can be hard on sin and still uphold the grace of God. Amen. There's a movement out there now, and it's been going on for a while, but it's called deconstruction, where these people take the faith and they, they deconstruct, and they come out of various Christian backgrounds, and they're deconstructing their faith. And when you listen to all of their testimonies, they say, oh, well, I just, I found the God of grace. And the God of grace didn't look like that God that I experienced in church. The God that always expected something of me and the God that was angry at me for my sin. And so they lose the fear of God because they want to experience the love of God. We know that we, we can stay right in the middle and we can have the fear of God, the holy reverent fear that says that God is a mighty judge and no evil deed will go unpunished no evil deed is unseen before his sight but we also know that he is a forgiving God he, you know he forgives sins and trespasses in Jesus Christ so we can be hard on sin and still big on the grace of God. I want to read this from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. This is hard stuff. It's hard language. Because we preach this to people who are caught up in these things. And they think we're just sitting here beating down on them. Just, yeah. That's the uh, that's most well-known uh, verse in the Bible. Yeah, even, even atheists know it. Matthew 7, 1, judge not lest you be judged. But they leave off about half of that verse. And the whole entirety of the context, all they know is do not judge. So when they preach about sin, we're being judgmental, so they say. But listen to what Paul says right after that. And such were some of you. And now Paul doesn't say, Shape up. Do better. Quit sinning. You, you know, you idiots, you, uh, you fools, anything like that. What did he tell them? But ye are washed. Ye are sanctified. But ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. He brings it back to the gospel. Such were some of you, but ye were washed. He brings it back to the gospel. That is the way that is spoken of over and over again in the New Testament. And, and I would add, just for context purposes, if you keep reading the very next verse, is all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. Yeah.
Yeah. And that's, that's the thing about this. He doesn't want people to forget the truth of the gospel, but he understands that there is that tendency in each of us to be lazy, to be, um, you know, they say everybody is their own worst critic, and I don't think that's true. No. We're often too easy on ourselves, aren't we? Because my sin is not as bad as that person's sin. I can preach to this guy because, you know, yeah, I, I might have been an idolater, but he's an adulterer. He's sleeping around on his wife. I was just, uh, I was just appreciating my stuff, maybe a little too much. But hey, I wasn't sinning the way this guy was. And so we can be too easy on ourselves. Well, right, right. Well, that, 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 well, I've heard it said, you know, when, when, we are being, when we are being hard on sin, people say, well, I don't want to offend them that I'm preaching to. But then they're not, they don't care about offending God. They don't care about preaching the whole counsel of God and preaching that God hates sin. They want to preach, um, you know, there's an evangelist, and if I said his name, you all would know exactly who I'm talking about, that um, his, th these were his words to a, uh, he was talking about, um, he was out and he was doing his healing bit and everything, and he says, hey, I just want you to know that God is absolutely mad about you. He is just crazy. He is just crazy about you, and he and this person was an atheist, a self-professed atheist. And he, yeah, God's just crazy about you. And, you know, he's not mad at you. He's mad about you. And it's like, I understand. People need to know the love of God. We need to proclaim Romans 5 that, you know, this is how he demonstrated his love, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. But... We don't need to soften sin. The culture is doing a good enough job of that. Conditioning. Uh, I can't even remember. There was a Disney movie that came out a little while back. And it had some uh, alphabet mafia characters in it. You know. Um, the LGBTQ characters. And so we as a culture are already being... Um, the sting of sin is being dulled off to our generation. We're being conditioned to accept the world's terms. And then you have Christians out here making peace with that. Right? So, and I'm kind of getting off subject here a little bit, but that's, that's, how, we tend to th that's how we tend to think about things. We are so worried about, well, I can't, say that what this person is doing wrong or I'll push them away. Well, sometimes we need to push on them a little more than we are so that they understand that, yes, Christ wants you to come to him. And you can come to him as you are. You can. And he will take you as you are, where you are. But he's not going to leave you that way. And for us to make it sound like, oh, well, um, you can still be a Christian and be a practicing homosexual, or you can still be a Christian. That would be like, well, you can be a Christian and a practicing murderer. You can, yeah, idolater. You can, you know, you can kill somebody Saturday night. You come to the altar Sunday morning and get your sins forgiven, and we'll just tell the, uh, the sheriff's office when they come to arrest you that uh, it's okay your sins are forgiven um, you know and, and you know well you, you've repented never mind that you've already got your next victim in mind D do you see how crazy that is now because it sounds insane when we apply it but what if we apply it to the drunkard well um you know, it's okay because he asked for forgiveness. 
Never mind that when he gets done at this altar, he's going to go to the liquor store and buy a bottle of whiskey or a 12-pack of beer or whatever. But, yeah, well, that doesn't sound as crazy because um, we're just humans. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're just we're just humans. I can't, you know, I can't do any more than, you know, I'm just a human. Oh, uh, you know, we're all sinners. Uh, you know, all sin and fall short of the glory. And that's true. Well, why is the first man just like that? Yeah. Right. Well, but to, in today's culture, there are people saying that. I heard a quote-unquote evangelical pastor. Actually, or I, I said I heard it. I read it. This was a quote directly from his mouth. And he said that, and there is a truth to the fact that you cannot lose your salvation, right? We believe in the perseverance of the saints. We believe that those who God saves, he saves for life. But this guy had said, well, uh, it doesn't, you know, you can be, if you give your life to Christ, you can go be whatever you want to be. You could be a Buddhist tomorrow, and when you die, you will still go to heaven. That is not the security we want to talk about. Because you know, where is security found? Abiding in Christ. That is where security is found. And if you're worshiping Buddha, you're not abiding in Christ. If you're murdering people, you're not abiding in Christ. If you're a practicing homosexual doing a sin that God says that he hates, you're not abiding in Christ. If you're backbiting your brother and sister and not showing up to church because you're mad at them... You're not abiding in Christ. Well, I, I, think, I think the person that would claim to be a Christian and turn to Buddha and die, the reality is I think what is being shown is they weren't truly born again anyway. That's what I think it shows. I think it shows unequivocally that they might have made a confession of faith, but it was not a true confession, nor was it a true conversion. Yeah. I don't think you, I don't think you can say that. And that's... That's the, that's the thing. It's abiding faith. It's confidence in the gospel. It's confidence in Christ. It's not license. As I said this morning, Christian liberty means that we are free from trying to justify ourselves. It doesn't mean that we're free to now, because we've already been justified, to go do whatever we want and live this life. We need to walk this kind of stuff out so that we can, so that one, God will be glorified, and two, our brethren will benefit. I want you to notice, getting back to the text, I want you to notice here how verse 10, oh wait, where am I? Oh, I'm still in First Corinthians, I'm going to go back to Ephesians. I was like, why does that not say what I to say, I was confused. Okay, now, verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has ordained beforehand that we should walk in them. I want you to notice the radical contrast between this walk in verse 10 and the walk in verse 10. Two, where in time past he walked according to the chorus of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. He is intentionally using this language that we should, that God has ordained beforehand, that we should walk in these good works. And he's contrasting this new walk with the old walk. Amen. Amen. The, the Christian walk should look different. It should be decidedly different 
from your life before conversion. But it should be so because of the gospel. Here's what makes faith alone so entirely radical. It is because we believe, right, the word of God says that whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Amen. Right? So to try to just clean up the outside of the dish, didn't Jesus holler at the Pharisees about that? John the Baptist, John the Baptist uh, and, um, hollered at he hollered at them and said, you know, you wash the outside of the dish, but the inside is filthy. Uh, Jesus called, called the Pharisees whited sepulchers, whited tombs. You're full of dead men's bones, he said to them. That, because they had this outward appearance of trying to do the right thing, trying to keep the law. Look, we're good. We don't need a redeemer. We're good. The, the Pharisee um, um, said, God, you know, I'm thankful that I'm not like other men. And the tax collector beat his chest and said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. One went home justified. The tax collector went home justified. That is sin. Even if he's outwardly doing the right thing. If you were, and that's why I kind of tried to tie this to what uh, you preached about setting our affections, because where our affections are matter. If our affections are set on, we are going to do this because we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ is true. I want every one of you, when you come to this church, to be coming here because you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ is true. And if you don't believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is, is true, then you're wasting your time here. You're not going to get anything out of this. I pray that you get saved. And I, I, I truly believe that everybody in this room has confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But just in case anybody on Facebook hears it, if you are looking internally, if you are looking at the, the things that you're doing and saying, well, I, you know, if you're doing this checklist Christianity, oh, I don't do this, I don't do that, I don't do this, I don't do that. So I'm not like the world, but you have no love for Christ in your heart. You are not living by faith alone in Jesus Christ. Amen. You are not justified because your affections are not set in the right place. That's why I say that faith alone is radical because it means that Everything that we do must be of faith, in faith towards Christ, and in love for our brethren. Now, as I said earlier, because God has taken away the because God has taken away the old way, the ordinances as it says here, because he has set these aside in Christ, because the law has been fulfilled in Christ. That's, that's what we get to, right? It's not that the law has been done away with, and I talked about this this morning, right? The law was not bad. We were bad. Right. We could not fulfill that law. The yeah, the weakness was in us, not in the perfect law of God. So therefore, God sent his son into the world that he might justify those that were under the law and free us now to walk this way. He is foreordained before the foundation of the earth that we should walk in these good works. He has prepared them for us beforehand. And our motivation matter our affections matter we should be living out of the gospel living off of what christ has done for us um that we've been going through and i'm going to get into this more wednesday night but we've been going through the uh, baptist catechism sunday mornings and we're getting to the really good stuff that i mean everything in there is good but uh, when it starts talking about justification, 
adoption and sanctification, it gets really good. Because as we've seen last week, justification is what? An act of God's free grace. Adoption is what? An act of God's free grace. And Wednesday night, we'll take a look at sanctification and what is it? It is, the Baptist Catechism says, it is a work of God's free grace. It is still a work of God's free grace. He is working these things in us and for us, and he's ordained that we should walk in them. So we're not passive in these good works. Okay. Yeah. You're just a little ahead of me. I'm sorry. You're fine. <laughs> First Thessalonians or? Yeah, Thessalonians 4. Oh, 4-3. Yeah, 4-3 and 4. I think I have written down 3-3 and 4. Anyways. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. Verse, verse, verse 4. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any manner, because that the Lord is the avenger of all, such as we also have forewarned and testified. For God has not called you unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore despise, that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given us his Holy Spirit. This is the good gifts. You remember when he's talking in John, if... You know, if you being evil, talking to the Pharisees, yeah. know how to get, get, give good gift to your children, how much more will the Father give unto you the Holy Spirit who asks? And so he reminds them again. He's saying, God hasn't called us to uncleanliness, but unto holiness. And that he that despises, despises God and not man. Because God has given us this good gift. He brings it back to the gifts that God gives. Amen. And that is our motivation. And as I said, that is where our affections matter. They matter greatly. Because outward, an outward appearance of religion is not going to make it past the gates of heaven. You have to have your mind, your have your affections set on things above. Set your affections on Jesus and on his gospel. I want to address, as we wrap up here, I want to address James chapter 2. James chapter 2 is a um, a spot where people that think that the faith alone is the lowest common denominator and is just this uh, lazy Christianity, um, this is where they go to say that um, that's not going to fly with God. You've got to have the works. And we as Protestants who believe we're justified by faith alone don't disagree. We say if you're justified, the works are going to be there, inevitably, right? Amen, amen. So, James chapter 2, starting at verse 14. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and hath not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, Notwithstanding, ye give them not those things which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it has not works, is dead, being alone. 
Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God. Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But will thou, O vain man, know that faith without works is dead? Was not our father Abraham justified by works when he offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seeth thou how faith wrought with his works, and by his works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed to him for righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. So right there is where people who reject sola fide, faith alone, will go to say, see, we are not saved by faith alone, because a faith that is alone cannot justify us. Well, luckily for us, we are not talking about a faith that is alone. We are talking about a faith that works by love. Doesn't Paul say that? A faith working through love? So what, the, what we mean when we say justification by faith alone is not that the faith by which we're justified is alone, but that we are only justified by faith and not by our works, as Paul said earlier. Now that faith that we have is accompanied with these good works. What does it do? What good does it do if we say to a brother or sister, that are naked and destitute of food, be warmed and filled, and we don't give them the things which they need to be warmed and filled. What does that do for them? It does nothing. What? This is a way to put it in modern context. What good are we doing our brothers and sisters when we scroll past their post, post on Facebook? And I'm speaking to myself too. We scroll past their post on Facebook where they say I need prayer and what we do is we type praying and then we never pray Amen. will that kind of faith do anything will those prayers that were never uttered never offered up to God do anything they can't they were never offered you were just assenting to you need prayer I'll pray for you you didn't do it. So the person with faith who doesn't think that he needs works says, "Well, I, you know, I believe, and I'm, I, you know, I'm, I, I'm going to do this Christian life. I'm going to walk with Christ. I, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm doing it." And he doesn't do it. Right. What can that faith save him? Well, no. But that's not what we mean. See, do you see how the people who are against justification by faith alone distort justification by faith to attack it? Because we are not saying that we are not saying that um, our faith only justifies us. We are saying that the only thing that justifies us is faith, and everything that we do must be done in faith toward God it must be motivated by the gospel of Christ well and I think the mistake is when Paul says we are justified by faith alone and not by the works of the law James never uses law language he says works not law not hold Right. Second of all, Paul and James agree. Paul undoubtedly believes that true pe people with true faith will have fruit in their yeah. lives of saving faith that produces good works. Uh, faith works by love, uh, Galatians 5, 6. Yeah. 
Yeah, Galatians 5, 6. Faith working by love. You're, you're, because your faith is granted to you not just to secure you a place in heaven one day, but God wants to use you and use your faith to serve him and his church. Do you, and we'll talk about this a little more, and I'm getting pretty close to wrapping up here. But we're going to talk about it a little more Wednesday. But do you notice how every time it is talked about that we should love one another and being sanctified and um, having these gifts and everything, it is always talked about in the context of service. To our brethren. Service to each other. Service to God. It is never talked about. You cannot. Okay. Uh, patience. That's a fruit of the spirit. Right? You can't practice patience. Patience by yourself. You can't. You can't say. Well I'm being really patient with myself today. Um, you know. Love. You know. I, I think that self love. Is one of the biggest hoaxes. That has. The church caught up today is you're supposed to love yourself. Right. Well, love necessarily implies two people, right? right? That's how we, that's how, well, think about it this way. That's one of the ways that we defend the eternality and the deity of Christ. Because when he prays to the Father in John 17, he says, Father, thou hast loved me before the world was. Well, love implies there's more than one person. There is someone who loves, and there is an object that that love is set on. There is someone that that love is toward. So we cannot practice these things outside of the brethren. And as I said, God does not need your works to justify you. You are already justified in Christ. Your brother desperately needs your good works. Your brother needs your prayers. Your brother needs you to tell them, hey, I've been praying for you. Or um, building them up with a yeah, or yeah, or building them up with the scripture, exhorting them with scripture, rebuking them with scripture, reproving them with scripture. We need that kind of thing going on inside the body. And these are the good works that James is talking about. So there's no need to get mystical when we, oh, what are these good works? Uh, some people say it's keeping all of the Jewish festivals that kept in the Old Testament. That's good works. And, uh, or, um, you know, going to Rome and looking at all the icons and going to the Basilica and crawling up your, uh, what's that place? The, the, the Lateran Church where they crawled up their, Knees. Yeah, they crawled up the stairs. It was the Lateran church. Um, but they'd crawl up their, the stairs on their knees and pray the rosary. And they'd get to the top and that earned indulgences. And we say, oh, well, those were surely good works. But what did they do for their brethren? Nothing. God doesn't need that. He needs you to love your brethren. He needs you to pray. He needs you to serve his church. That's what he needs, and that's what we have been created to do in Christ Jesus. I'm going to go ahead and close just by saying this. Let the gospel be your motivation for everything that you do. Jesus died for me, so I get to pray for my brother. Jesus died for me so I get to love that difficult person in my church or at my job or wherever. I get to do these things because I'm justified. Faith alone is absolutely radical. May everything we do be out of faith toward God and love for our brethren. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that even through my weaknesses, you have spoken to your people by your word tonight.
Father, I pray that as we go forth that the gospel will truly be a motivation. Lord, it is a sufficient motivator for us because we have confidence in its truth. We believe, Lord, that Christ has been sent to die for the sins of man, that we don't have to perish, but that we can have eternal life in your presence and spend forever worshiping you. Father, let us, while we're here on this earth, strive to serve you in all that we do and to serve you out of faith. Lord, that we would set our affections on those pure and holy things that you command us to set our affections on. Lord, we thank you for the strength and the grace to do these things. We thank you for loving us so that we would know how to love others. Lord, we thank you for the example of Jesus laying down his life in service for his friends, that we would lay our lives, as it were, down in service to others. Lord, that we would take up our cross daily and follow thee. Lord, that we would deny ourselves and that we would live truly out of a faith alone in you. God, I pray that each of these here tonight would go forth and bear much fruit. That was Christ's prayer for us, and that is my prayer for them, that these would go forth and bear much fruit. Father, we thank you, and we just pray safety for each of these that are here tonight. Bring us together again. Lord, I ask these blessings in Jesus' name. Amen.